Hey everybody, you're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. For those of you who don't know, Pastor Dave and I founded this church 30 years ago, and uh, we handed it over in May to Pastor Matthew and Pastor Rachel. And I know that you are in good hands with them, and I know you've continued to pray for them and continue to bless them and the team that um, is Hamilton and Kitchener. And as you grow together, I know that God has greater and brighter things in store. So what we're doing on the West Coast right now is we are part of this house still. We're still on the board here. We're still part of the um, overseeing team. Oversight team is the apostolic group. But we also um, are working with a group and team who oversee 1,300 churches in 72 nations. And so we're with Brother, Brother Bishop Gill, um, and uh, Lady Diana, and we had a big conference in October in Calgary where people from Uganda, um, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, all over Canada from coast to coast, from BC to Newfoundland, all the way down to Texas, all came together to praise the Lord and to pray for this country. So Canada is being prayed for around the globe. And I know that when I spoke last no- month in November down in Hamilton, I really feel that God is doing something special in in BC. It's a gateway to a revival in this country. So if you can pray for, when you're sitting in Kitchener and Waterloo and Cambridge, if you can continue to pray for the doors to be opened in a very liberal province of our country, because I know that God is shaking things up and I saw the mountains beginning to shake and they can't, the world and the devil cannot stand a chance. He doesn't. He already lost. We already know this. He lost a long time ago. Um, but I know that Canada, the great revival is coming and BC is a gate to that. So if you can continue to pray for, for British Columbia and what the work that we're doing there and laying the foundations there, that would be great. So anyways, I'm here to announce and to introduce my firstborn the, the, the man who has been here since uh, in my womb at this church. And uh, so his, his blood, sweat, and tears have been in this body for a very, very long time. So can you all welcome my greatest first achievement, <laughs> Quentin David Mischuk. <laughs> Don't, oh, you're going to cry. Man, I really thought that I was going to make it to the end of the service before I started crying. But man, that worship got me. That was good. Thank you so much, band. Okay. Are we good? We're good. I got Kleenex. I'm prepared. Okay. (laughs) I'm a mischuck. It happens. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful, snowy day. Man, don't you love the snow? I love the snow. Anyways, it is a beautiful day to worship God, is it not? 
Thank you, band, again, for leading us in that time of worship. I really did think I was going to make it till the end of the service before I started crying. But there I was on the front row because those words are... exactly what I want to tell you today. Okay, I was supposed to start on a happy note. Man, I'm supposed to make you laugh. Okay, here we go. Okay, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Pastor Matt said that last week. He sung it, actually, and it was quite, quite great. Um, we are two weeks away from Christmas, and about two weeks and one day from never Oh, I got to silence that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Golly, technology, isn't it great? Uh, do not disturb. Okay, sorry. Start again. Okay, I'm going to start with my joke again because it's really funny and I need you to get it. <laughs> We're two weeks away from Christmas and two weeks and one day until we can finally stop hearing Mariah Carey everywhere we go. Amen? I don't know about you, but all I want for Christmas is for that song to have never existed. <laughs> now, jokes aside, it was funny. I worked on it really hard. Okay. <laughs> jokes aside, we are two weeks away from one of the holiest days of the year, at least for us in the Christian tradition. It is holy because through all the presents, through all the stuffed turkeys, through the fun and not so fun family gatherings, through all the distractions, and through all the things that our consumeristic world tries to throw at us this time of year, we pause to remember the birth of Christ, our Savior. The birth of Christ is one of, if not the most significant day in the history of the world. Oh, man, come on. I didn't get enough sleep last night, y'all. The birth of Christ is the day that changed everything. Now, as, as most of us will know, December 25th is probably not the day that Christ was actually born on. We really don't know. The Bible doesn't clarify what day he was actually born on. There's a few, few days throughout history, throughout the last 2,000 years, that it's been celebrated, um, but no one really knows. And... Regardless of that fact that Christ may not have been born on the 25th, it's still a time and a season that we get to reflect on the precious gift that he has given us. The precious gift that we have been given is Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, anointed one, Messiah. And to truly understand why this is the day that changed everything, and to truly and fully appreciate the gift that has been given to us, we need to first understand why? Why it happened this way? And now if you have children or if you've grown up around children or if you yourself was a child, then you'll know that one of the most commonly asked questions that comes from a child's mouth is why? Why, Dada? Why is it this way? Why, 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 why? And you'll know that after that first why, there are more whys coming. And that is exactly how I felt when I was preparing for this message. So I want to encourage you today to embrace a little bit of your inner child and ask with me why. 
as we read the Christmas story in a roundabout way, because we're actually not going to read a lot of the Christmas story today. Fun fact. (laughs) Oh, no. So, like I said, as I was reading the Christmas message in order to prepare for this Sunday, I kept asking why. Why was there no room in the inn? Why did it have to be a virgin birth? Why include that detail? Why is that important? Why is it prophesied over? Why is, why is it in there? Why Mary and Joseph? Why a teenager from Nazareth? Why? Why Bethlehem? Why that time? But the question that I must say circled around and around and around and around in my head is why is this the way that God chose to save us? Why was this baby boy the vessel through which God... Man, I'm so sorry. It's just so good. (laughs) Why is this baby boy the vessel through which God would restore our relationship with him so that we can spend eternity in his presence? Why would Jesus in all his glory, all his glory on the throne in heaven, on the right hand of God, why would he come down to human form and die on that cross? Why? Why would he do that? Surely there was another way he could have done it. I mean, he is God, is he not? Is he not omnipotent, all-powerful? He created the universe. But why did he choose to do it that way? Could he not have just taken a really, really big animal and sacrificed it instead? Could he not have just Thanos snapped sin away, death away? Why didn't he do that? Why did he put himself through sending his son to die? For us, sinners, people have turned our back on him time and time again. Why did God choose this baby boy to be that vessel? Why did he choose to suffer, to be separated from his son while he was on that cross, while he had the weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of our sin, from before Christ to after Christ, from the beginning of time to the end of time, the weight of the world and his sin was on his shoulders. And in that moment, he was separated from God. Why? Well, I can't promise that I'm going to answer all of those questions. I will not even come close because if I'm honest, That's a question that only the big man upstairs can answer when you get to heaven and you can ask him. Because I know I'll be asking him. But what I want to try to do today is give a little bit of a glimpse and a little bit of an understanding as to maybe why that's the way that God chose to save us. So, whether this is your first time hearing the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, or it is your hundredth time hearing the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I hope I can help you to remember just how important Christmas is 
and the day of birth. Okay, we're going to start way back at the beginning. Because before we can understand the importance of Christ's birth, we need to understand why he had to come to earth as fully God and as fully human. Why he would have to take on human flesh at all. Now, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a recap today about Pastor Rach's message because it was so good. And if you haven't heard it, it was two weeks ago. Um, if you go on Facebook, it'll be last week's message. It was so good. And I'm going to recap a little bit um, or use at least some of the same verses because that's just the story of Christ. Um, so, and you all have probably heard the story of the Garden of Eden before. Um, but anyways, here we are at the beginning where it all started. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given the whole land. They were given a whole garden that they could enjoy. Every tree they could imagine, every fruit they could possibly eat. They were, they were in paradise. They were fully satisfied. God had given them everything. And yet, they could not eat from one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one tree. And as we all know how the story goes, they saw what they thought was good in their eyes in the fruit from this tree, and they took it against what God had told them. And from that moment on, their eyes had opened up, they had revealed their nakedness, and they had welcomed sin and death into the world. Just as God said, just as the serpent denied and tried to convince them otherwise, they had welcomed death into the world. And this right here is the crux. This is the moment where we as humanity were separated from God. This is the moment where Adam and Eve could no longer walk with God in the garden and enjoy the fullness and the goodness that he had prepared for them because they had chosen to sin. Now, if you would open your Bible or follow along, um, we're going to read Isaiah 59.2, and it says this, It is your sin that has cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away, and you will not listen anymore. Sin vandalizes. It infects. It defiles God's good word and God, sorry, God's good world. It fractures relationships and ultimately it leads to violence and death among the people. The reality is, is that when Adam and Eve sinned, their descendants became separated from God. But the story doesn't end there, does it? There's a whole book after that moment. And that whole rest of that book is because God wants a relationship with us. God wants a relationship with you. And as soon as they sinned and he walked into that garden in Genesis 3, he had a plan that was set in place. And the reason that I believe God created us in the first place is for this reason, is because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be in communion with you, in fellowship with you, to share in his creation and ultimately for us to glorify him. 
but he couldn't have just created beings without free will. At least that's what I believe. I believe he couldn't have created robots that were forced to just praise him all day long, to worship him all day long, who wouldn't sin, who wouldn't turn their back on him, who wouldn't go along with everything he said, because where's the meaning in that? He wanted people who could choose to worship him, who could choose to return their love. And he didn't create us because he had to. He didn't create us because he was lonely and up in heaven with the spirit. The Bible says that he is all complete. Acts 17, 25 says that human hands cannot serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. When he's in heaven with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus as the Trinity, they are complete. They lack nothing, but they wanted to create us because they wanted a relationship with us. They wanted us to choose to glorify him. He actively and continually pursues that relationship with us. Can we just take a second and realize how freaking cool that is? that the God of the universe knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows where you've been, where you're going. He knows you. He chose you and he loves you. What other religion, what other God, what other thing in this universe could say that? Our God chose us. He pursues us constantly. And like I said, right after Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3, 15, God promises to send someone that will strike the head of the snake and whose heel will be struck himself. God had a promise. And again, Pastor Rachel went over this in more details a few weeks ago. So if you missed that, go check it out. But God did not abandon us the second we turned his back on him because he is merciful and he has had this plan for redeeming us since the very beginning. But the reality is, is that sin has a cost. Sin is not free of charge. God is a just God. And we know that God is a just God because we as humans who are created in the image and the likeness of God also have an inclination towards justice. When you read something in the news that really makes your gut turn, like I've read a few news articles the last few weeks that have made me so sick to the stomach. I want justice to be enacted. I want there to be something done, something in return for this, for this just despicable act. And the truth is that sin has a cost. And we as humans have this inclination towards justice because God has the inclination towards justice. He is seeking justice towards those who are wronged 
And when we sin, it is us who has wronged him, the creator. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now we're going to get to the second part of that later on. But that first part of that, let me just emphasize that. The wages of sin is death. That is because when Adam and Eve sinned, they took a perfect world and from that welcomed death into it. In the garden, they could not die. In the garden, they walked with God. They were in eternal paradise. Yet as soon as they sinned, they chose to, to cut that, to separate that, and they welcomed death into the world. Now, I must admit, this is a heavy price. But that is the result of being separated from God by our sin. And you can't just and fix the earth. There has to be some sort of consequence. There has to be some sort of justice. God is a just God. He is also a merciful God. He is also a loving God. And it is out of this love that he enacts his justice. And this is why part of his plan involved making a covenant with his people, involved making covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, to restore the divine blessings that he had intended to give us, to restore his presence in the world through his people of Israel. And in this covenant, or in this promise, because that's what covenant means, God offers the sinful and the corrupt Israelite a way to pay their debt for this sin, to purify themselves and to purify the whole community, to allow themselves to stay in God's presence. God had every right to make the people face their consequences for their wrongdoing. No, that's what sin produces, is death. And he had every right And he did in the beginning when he wiped out the face of the earth and started again with Noah. But in this covenant that he has made with the people of Israel, it is out of his love and out of his mercy that he gave them a symbolic substitute, the animal sacrifice, in order to take their their price and pay it on their behalf. And I know it is a really foreign concept for us in our modern day, 21st century Canadian civilization to understand animal sacrifice. Because I don't know about you, but it kind of has this intonation of, oh, that's what pagans do, or, oh, that's what they do in cult movies, or that's, and that's completely the farthest thing from what God intended animal sacrifice to be in the Old Testament for the Israelites. Now, it, was, it is true that it was a very common practice, not just for the Israelites, but for everyone in the Middle East and everyone in that time period, among other religions, including pagan practices. But the significant difference is that the Israelites are not dealing with an angry or a volatile God. They are dealing with a God who wants to remain in their presence, who loves them, and who offers them an opportunity to purify themselves when they have defiled themselves and they have defiled the land. Hebrews 6, 18 to 22 says this. 
This is why even in the first covenant was put into practice with the blood of the animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with the water, sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant that God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now we're going to jump back to the Old Testament, and I bet you weren't expecting to hear Leviticus on a Christmas sermon, but here you go. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given exchange for life that makes purification possible. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. However, Paul in Hebrews goes on to say that there is need for a greater sacrifice than this. It, the animals are just not enough because the animals themselves, they can atone and they can cover the sin of the people, but they cannot undo the original sin. They cannot reunite us with God. They only have they have served their purpose, essentially, to keep God's presence. But God wants an eternal relationship with you. And that is God's initial plan. And that was, that was the purpose of the Garden of Eden. And that is what God wants, is to spend eternity with us. And for this, he had to send Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 says this. So you see, just as death came into the world through man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Jesus Christ was required to undo the sins of humanity. He had to pay the price. He had to come become that sacrificial lamb. And we call this the incarnation. So fancy comes from Latin, just means in the flesh or in the meat. God had to send Jesus, his son, to take on human nature. And this does not mean that God was turned into a human or that Jesus, when he was turned into a human, ceased to be God while he was man, the incarnation itself means that while remaining God, Jesus took upon a new nature, a human nature. The incarnation was the unity of the divine and the human into one being and one person. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. You can be both. He is both. He's not one or the other. He is fully both. He was to become this sinless, blameless sacrifice. And he is the ultimate expression of God's love. Philippians 2, 6 to 7 
It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 1 John 4, 9-10 says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now he paid the price that we rightly deserved. The wages of sin is death. And he took that upon himself, the creator of the universe. As we sung, the one who was in the beginning, the word that was in the beginning. How much more could God demonstrate his love for us? How much more could God have given up in order to restore our relationship with him? Not just for that one moment, but from eternity. And that's the difference between the Israelites' animal sacrifice and what Jesus did on the cross. Every time the Israelites sinned, they had to purify themselves. They had to go back to the altar every week and the priests every month and every year, they had to go into the temple and purify themselves and purify the land. But Jesus did that once and that was enough. Not just for that one moment, but for eternity. Now, Paul continues on in Hebrews 9, 24 to 26 to say this. Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of the animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that he came not to destroy the law that had been established with Moses, but to complete it. This was God's plan the whole time. God's plan, God's covenant with Moses and with the Israelites was not a in the meantime plan. This was God's plan to teach his people to value sacrifice so that they could fully understand what Jesus was about to do. Jesus, in that moment on the cross, completed the promise that he had made Adam and Eve way back in the beginning. The snake will bite his heel and he shall crush the head of the snake. In that moment on that cross, when he was pierced by that spear, that promise was fulfilled because three days later, he rose again. He did not stay on that altar, on that cross. He did not stay in that grave. But three days later, he rose again. And that is what seals it for eternity. That is why he conquered death. That is the difference between an animal sacrifice and Christ. That's the good news, isn't it? That you and I don't have to pay that price ourselves that we don't have to spend eternity with God because he offers us 
eternity with him. When we accept Christ Jesus into our hearts, he gives each and every one of us that opportunity to spend eternity with him. Now, you might be asking yourself, Quentin, why are we hearing an Easter sermon on Christmas? I thought Christmas was supposed to be happy and jolly and wonderful time of the year and singing and cheering and holiday swelling and all of that good stuff. And I want to repeat what I said at the very beginning. In order to fully understand and appreciate Christ's birth, we must understand and appreciate why he had to be birthed in the first place. Why Christ Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, had to become human in the first place. Why he had to turn, take on his human nature. Does that make sense? Are you following? You're tracking? Okay. We're almost done. Stay with me. It's going to get to the good part. Just kidding. It's all good. <laughs> now, in part, we have answered the question on why God had to send Jesus. In part. There is so much more that could be said, and that's what the other 51 Sundays of a year are for. <laughs> this is why God, as the all-powerful being, couldn't just Thanos snap sin and death away. This is why Jesus had to be given as a ransom for all. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, why did Jesus have to come to earth as a baby? Was anyone else wondering that? Has anyone else ever thought to themselves, why didn't Jesus come as a fully grown man and descend down from heaven upon chariots of fire and say, this is my kingdom now. Go away, devil. Why didn't he do that? Well, I can tell you that for many Jews of the time, they believed the Messiah was to be a mighty warrior or a mighty king. The Messiah was prophesied as the anointed one. And I learned that the anointed one is a title that's commonly given to kings or warriors, people who lead the charge into battle. And it is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. So first, Micah 5.2 it says, O Bethlehem, you are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The distant past that I feel it's referring to is King David. Because so many times throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, it's prophesied that the Messiah, the Savior, will come through the line of David. Now, I don't know if you know who this King David is, but he was a pretty important guy in the, in the Bible. And he is known primarily as the greatest king Israel had ever had. Every other king is compared to King David. There, as, <laughs> before David was even king, he had led the, the, the nation of Israel into battle against their enemies. The Bible says that the Israelites wrote songs about him saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. David was a great and mighty warrior. 
He had his flaws, no doubt. But also, fun fact, in Matthew, this is rabbit trail. Um, in Matthew 1, there's a genealogy of Christ's lineage. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in Christ's lineage is Bathsheba, the woman that David committed adultery with. And I just think, and there's a whole other people. There's, there's a, there are prostitutes. There are, I mean, King David himself, even though he was called a man after God's own heart, he had committed sins how many times? He had killed how many people? Through the list, you read imperfect person after imperfect person after sinful person after sinful person. And yet that's the line that God chose to send his son through. Anyways, side note over. So the descendant of King David was supposed to take on the throne, was supposed to become king, was supposed to fight back against the oppressors, was supposed to free Israel from occupation and from exile. Because I don't know if you've also read through the Old Testament, but Israel ends up in exile a lot. They're under the rule of the Romans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, all of, all of the above. So they wanted someone who could lead them to battle, who could free them from their oppressors. But the truth is that God does not work like you and I would like him to work sometimes. And honestly, thank goodness that that's the case. Because he is not limited to what he sees in front of him with his human eyes, with our human eyes. He sees beginning to the end. He sees up and down and sideways. He sees it all. Jesus could not come as a fully grown warrior king because that was not his mission. The Messiah did not come to build a kingdom for himself as he proved when the, the devil offered him the kingdom. That was not his mission. His mission was to establish a heavenly kingdom, an eternal kingdom, and to win authority back over death in the grave. That was his mission. And therefore, he chose to come as a humble baby the Messiah, the savior of the world was born in the most humble of places, in a little town in Bethlehem, in a stable, in a manger with animals. God's kingdom works different than you or I would expect. Now, there is also a very practical reason why Jesus came as a baby. And it may come as a shocker to any of you, but humans are born as babies. <gasps> Collective gasp. That is how humans enter the world. Is anyone surprised? For Jesus to be, oh, that's my baby. <laughs> For Jesus to be fully human, to take on full nature of humanity, he needed to be born as a human. The way you and I were both born. Blood, water, mess, all of it. Although significantly less crying. He needed to do this because he's, his mission that he came to accomplish was to die on that cross, to rise three days later, 
and to bring us into eternity with the heavenly father. In this moment, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the human position to be born as a baby. The God of the universe, who was there before the beginning, who was there when the world was void and formless, the anointed one, the prince of peace, the savior, the redeemer, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the high priest, the lamb of God, the good shepherd. Jesus, I knew it was coming. Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, I'm actually, I've timed this pretty well. Um, I'm going to wrap up. And I want to end with a Christmas monologue from one of my favorite bands for King and Country. And I want to do this because I think that this monologue captures the importance of what I'm trying to get across to you today. And I hope and pray that after today, you will have a rebirthed. That's the only word that came to my mind. A rejuvenated, a revived purpose for Christmas. A revived sense of longing to remember Christmas for what it actually is. So we can remember that Christ, our Savior, came as a humble baby, gave up everything for you, for me, for your children and their children and their children. It's remarkable to think that a baby boy was born in a stable. No prestige, no privilege, no social media, no social status, no political campaigns, nor private aeroplanes. And yet he turned BC into AD. He flipped the world on its head. He is the most famous name around the globe. He has inspired the most read book ever written. He reconnected us to heaven and in turn brought heaven down to earth. And now he offers us redemption, a fresh start, freedom, so that we can hold our heads held high and march through this life, knowing that we are never alone that every woman and man, boy and girl, to all of us who feel like we have nothing left, nothing to bring the king, that we can know that God is smiling at us, that he is loving us, and that we are enough. So light up that Christmas tree, stand under the mistletoe, surround yourself with the ones that you love the most, and together... Let's celebrate the greatest news this world has ever known. Thank you, Jesus. Can we pray? Thank you, Jesus, for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for giving up everything for us. For giving up your throne. Thank you, Jesus, for coming as a baby, for humbling yourself. In the greatest act of love this world has ever known and will ever know, Jesus, we thank you for coming. 
We pray that we will take the moments this Christmas season to reflect on your goodness and your gift. We pray that we will take a moment to sit in silence in the busyness and the craziness and the running around, in the music and in the malls and in the homes and wherever we go, Jesus, may you be remembered because you are the reason for the season. You are the reason we are here. Lord, we thank you for your supreme sacrifice for us. A debt we could never repay you and yet you offer it so freely. Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would touch their hearts today, that you would make yourself known as a God who is personal, as a God who seeks us out, who pursues us, who is constantly pursuing us. Jesus, make yourself known. And may we be able to share in your love. May we be able to show others the love that you have for us, that you first gave us. Thank you, Jesus, for this, for this beautiful time that we get to remember you. And you are mighty and beautiful and perfect and all-powerful anointed name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.